Thank you. Colossians. As you find in your Bible, Colossians chapter 2, what do you say to people who believe what we just sang, who deep down in their hearts really do feel the prayer that Jesus is the high king of heaven and that they want him to be their vision? Those are a different kind of people. And those are the people that come to church in uncomfortable settings while we're dealing with COVID. That's the majority of the people that gather together around the Lord's table. That's basically who I'm talking to this morning. I want to talk to those of you who have been, as Paul said at the Colossians, a good group of church uh, people, a church that he really was pleased with, who have been transported from the kingdom of darkness into, uh, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm going to read a longer section, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1, but the focus of this morning's message will be in the verses um, that begin chapter 2. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is above all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28 has been my my ministry verse for many years. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you taught, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. What do you say to people who have experience the transformation of salvation and have now in their hearts affections for this God to whom they sing, Be Thou My Vision. How many of us in this group here did not actually feel that in our hearts as something that we wish to be constantly true for us? I think Paul felt that burden. What do you say to people who already know so much and have experienced so much? And, of course, he had, when writing this, while in prison, the, uh, the added blessing of being inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can still feel the work and energy of mind that went into thinking what he would say to the Colossians. After reminding them of their salvation, he quotes what many scholars believe to be a hymn, beginning in verse 15, that he reminds them of something that they knew and that we all knew, and that is an infinite God, one that is above all and beneath all and all around, and one that we cannot possibly comprehend because all things were created for him and in him and through him for his glory. This is an infinite God, impossible to actually put our arms around. But not only is he infinite, but there's an imminent presence. Imminence means right here around us. And that imminent presence is Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who came and dwelt among us and is uh, the head of the church, by whom we have been, re- been redeemed from the blood of, by the blood of the cross, and in whom we live and move and have our being as Christians, and we are growing. And he is the one in whom all the fullness of uh, God was pleased for all the fullness to dwell. This is an imminent presence that somehow has got to matter to those of us who believe it. And I think, and I'm speaking particularly to those of us who believe it. But not only uh, is Paul recognizing that, but he's recognizing that he's got this practically impossible mission. Because he says um, in verse 28, we, I want to present, we, we labor And that word labor is the hardest word you can get for the hardest kind of work. Um, It's it's like slave work. It's backbreaking work. It's a work that was beneath the caste that Paul actually was if if there was a caste. We labor for this, to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what we want. And that's what we aspire to. That's what I aspire to for you and for myself, for my kids, for my wife, and anybody that I can influence. So then, what do you want these people to know? If you're in Paul's shoes as a minister, or in my shoes as a minister, as a Christian who ministers to other people, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know something. 
I want you to know something. And in the next six verses, we're going to break it down into three parts. He's going to uh, remind us what we do not have perfectly and then tell us what we do have presently and thirdly, what we can do personally. He reminds the, the, the Colossians and the Laodiceans and, the, and also us indirectly, he reminds us what we still do not have perfectly. He says, I want you to know the struggle. And that root word for struggle is uh, the word from which we get our word agonize. I want you to know what I'm agonizing for. I'm agonizing for you, my brothers and sisters in uh, Colossus and in Laodicea, that your hearts would be knit together in love. And I, I wish that I could see you face to face. There's certain realities that Paul is reminding them and us that we still do not have perfectly. The fact that, that he's agonizing over their hearts being knit together is not to say that they didn't love each other, but it's to say that it's the constant mission of the Christian minister to pursue uh, uh, the knitting of hearts together in love. And that word knit is an interesting word. It's a word uh, from which we get our en English word symbiosis, where there's like a uh, uh, interweaving and an interconnection and an interdependence one upon another. So that if you un unravel one part, you've unraveled the other part. It's, uh, it's, it is the aspiration of all of God's people since the beginning of the church that all of God's people would be knit together completely in, in a godly way, not in a bad way, codependent upon one another in love and that aspiration we do not experience yet perfectly. That is why the ministers of God and Paul the Apostle says, I want you to know my agony, what I'm struggling for, what I'm, a what I'm trying to work for. In, the, in verses 20 and 29, there's five words that overlap in meaning, but all of them describing the difficulty and the labor and the struggle of this Christian pursuit that we want people who already know that they've been rescued by an infinite God and who already know that Jesus Christ is imminent. They sing these songs and praise to him, and they want to live free from the sins that overpower them and in the wisdom of God that is available to them. It's a struggle that we are all in, whether a minister or not, and it's a, an aspiration that we all have. We have not yet attained this knitting of love perfectly. And, he, and, and one other thing he says, I want you to, I want you to know that uh, I, I wish I could see you face to face. I don't have the time in this morning's message to go over the uh, different clues that are in Paul's 13 epistles of his conviction that face-to-face -face ministry is is better. But there's a lot of clues throughout uh, his 13 epistles. And he's saying, I, I wish that you could see me face-to-face. -face. But I can't. And I just want to point out that in this uh, uh in this statement right alone, Paul is admitting a limitation and a not-yetness about a reality that we all aspire to and long for. And that is that we could be face-to-face -face with all of the people of God. And uh, it's not even 
impossible. And he reminds him of that. But when he says that, he's saying something that human beings know. And we're experiencing it even right now this year like we've never seen before. I can't tell you how much I miss seeing your faces. And I'm talking to, when, when I speak. I don't like speaking to a TV screen because, uh, as one pastor said, the audience is my notes. They're my notes. And uh, your faces are we're covered up with masks now, and uh, we're at a distance from one another. And there's so much that is seen by the complexion of human beings that is relayed by the complexion of human beings that cannot be uh, hidden when we see each other face to face. All that to say this, we have to be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters, that there is a certain degree where we have uh, not gotten what we want and will never get what we want perfectly right now in this life. I think it's very important for churches and pastors not to over-promise what the church can deliver. And some people get frustrated because the church doesn't meet all their needs, and they haven't found all the fellowship that they wanted. They haven't had it, uh, their cup overflowing by the church. But that's something that the church can't do perfectly. Only Jesus Christ can do it. And we, so let's be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters, about this reality. Let's keep aspiring for it. Let's keep praying and agonizing and striving and toiling and laboring for knitting together of ourselves in love and getting to each other and seeing each other in, in uh, uh, face-to-face. That's, he said, first of all, I want to show you what we do not have perfectly, but secondly, I want to show you what we do have presently. And you'll notice in verses 2 and 3, he says um, that uh, in whom, well, let me just uh, reread verse 1 and 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and all those who have seen, uh, not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the fullness of uh, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delete you. Verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you, your good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As a minister, Paul says, I want to tell you what I rejoice in, Coloss and uh, Laodicea. First of all, I want you to rejoice in this that I'm writing believers, and in the believers who have received Christ Jesus the Lord, they have received the message that Jesus is the wisdom of God. They have received the message that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. They have received the message that Jesus has the fullness of God dwelling in him. I want to remind you what you have presently. You have access to Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Every Christian, deep down in his or her heart, knows that is true because the Spirit of God convinces you of the reality of that. You know, if you are a Christian, that you have a personal and intimate relationship with the one who is the source of all wisdom. You know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I want to remind you, says Paul, not uh, uh, on, on what we have presently. And then he goes on to say, and, and I rejoice. 
And I celebrate in two things, your good order and the firmness of your faith. Both of those words are military words. He's saying to the church, and he can say this to many churches, and I believe he could say this to Redeemer Church. You have good order. You have good theology. You have uh, 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 the blessings that many, many churches around the world do not have. You have a, a, a structure where you have the opportunity to meet together and to worship together and to sing together and to pray together. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice in the fact that you have a firm faith. And most Christians have a faith that though it is beaten and hit and knocked down, the just man will be fall seven times and yet rise again each time. That is a reality, brothers and sisters, of the Christians at Redeemer Church. We have the blessing of getting together. We have the blessing of pastors who preach the word of God. We have the blessing of musicians who lead us in worship. We have the blessing of going on the internet and finding tremendous sources that can feed our souls. All of these are something to rejoice in. And we have a faith that has been inseminated into our souls by God that is an uh, unshakable faith and a persevering faith that will never be completely squashed or eliminated or... uh, Uh, knocked out of us because it is a God-given gift. We are saved by faith, and that is the gift of God. Let's rejoice in what we have presently. And then he says, um, I want to rejoice. Now, here's what we can do. I know what I want to tell you. I want you to think about what we don't have yet uh, perfectly right now and what we do have presently, but now I want you to... um, Know what you can do personally. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And he's reminding them of everything that went in chapter 1. You received the fact that he is the image of the invisible God. You received the fact that he is the head of the church. You received the fact that he, by his blood, has transferred you from the kingdom of, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've received all of these things. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's the King James translation. That's how I learned it. Walk in him. And what does that mean to walk? Because that's a theme that comes over and over in the Bible. What does it mean to walk? Here's how I define walk. Our walk are the habits that reveal the direction of our heart, uh, the direction of our life, and the affections of our heart. Let me say it again. Our walk is the habits that reveal the direction of my life and the affections of my heart. You are what your habits are. And our habits, what we do, both on the outside and on the inside, reveal the direction of our life and the affections of our heart. And uh, Paul the Apostle is saying, okay, there, though there are some things that we cannot uh, yet attain perfectly, and we want that, and... Uh, and because of what God has given us, here's what every single one of us can do personally. 
as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And how did I receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith that he is, that what he says is true. By obedience that his word is good. And by, uh, with joy that he is my savior. As I've received him, then I'm going to, uh, uh, shape my life, my habits in such a way that all of my habits reveal the, the direction of my life and the affections of my heart. Paul has just said that Jesus is the uh, treasure house of all wisdom. In, in ancient days when somebody said that, that's a radical statement. Because in those days, the philosophers all talked about wisdom, and there was all kinds of philosophers who loved wisdom. It, that's what it literally means, love wisdom and seeking wisdom. And now here comes someone that says, at the, the source of all wisdom, the treasure house of wisdom, and all the treasures of any kind of wisdom, uh, physical, material, spiritual, or whatever kind, are in Christ Jesus. That's because Jesus Christ himself said that. Jesus said, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And then he had the audacity to tell all the scholars that were all around him that that wise man is the one that hears my words and puts them into practice. That's what the wise man does. And then when the winds came and the uh, storm came and the, the, everything was shaking, the house on the rock stood firm. Why? Paul goes on to expand why in uh, the uh, ver- following verse. And he uses three metaphors that are overlapping in meaning. Paul sometimes mixes metaphors, uh, uh, gives a whole list of metaphors, almost saying the same thing in order to to show us. He says, walk in Christ uh, because why? Verse 7 says, you are rooted in him, and you're built up in him and established in him. Those three words teach us the comprehensiveness of the habits that we have in our walk with Christ. I put it this way. In Christ, I'm built deep, built up, and built out. Let me explain. In Christ, I'm built deep, built up, and built out. The word rooted, obviously in our English mind, speaks of a root underneath the ground. It's got that foundational concept. The root is the foundation of the tree. The root is underneath the surface. The the foundation is the most important part of the building. Um, Paul uses the foundation metaphor many times when he's talking about Christian ministry and Christian life. It's because the psalmist said in Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? The foundation is ultimately the most, it's the most important part of the building. My daughter and I were having coffee yesterday and looking at a high rise that was in front of us. And I, I said to her, a significant portion, in fact, the most important part of that building is underneath the ground. We can't see it. And Jesus Christ is our foundation. And not only that is he our foundation, when as soon as we received Jesus Christ, he became the foundation, uh, the rock upon which we started building our house, and we can voluntarily then choose to have habits that sh- by 
the habits we have and the choices we make reveal the direction of our life is a house that's built on the rock. The affections of our heart is a house that's built upon the rock in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you, brothers and sisters, what you could do personally is think about what habits in life reveal your foundation in Christ because you are rooted in Christ. But not only are we built deep, we are built up. You're being built up, he says. This is the, the idea of a structure and the purpose of the structure. And uh, everything that is built on the foundation will last, and that which is not built on the foundation will be blown over. And all of us in Christian life are going to experience tests that are a, a, a prelude of the test we're going to experience one day at the end of our lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that all of the work that we do will be tested by fire. And that which is wood and hay and stubble and all of that stuff is going to burn away, and only that which is gold is going to remain. That's a chilling thought for every one of us. Because there's a lot of things that we can do in the flesh and in the energy of our uh, uh, own uh, personalities or whatnot. But only that which is on the foundation of God will last. So we need to make uh, habits that reveal the direction of my life is building a, a life that is, uh, is built by God and uh, show that the affections of my uh, heart are on God. And what I do, whether it's... Uh, washing dishes or whether it's going to work or whether I'm a student at school, whatever my hand finds to do, I do it for the glory of God. Whatever, uh, whether I eat or drink, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. And how does the Christian who knows that he's been re redeemed by God and he knows that in Jesus the fullness of God dwells and he knows that Jesus is the treasure house of all wisdom, how does the Christian say everything I do is going to be for the glory of God? I think you can conscientiously think, is this action, is this habit, is this thing, thought that I'm thinking, is this... Grounded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I am in Christ built deep. I'm built up. And I love this part. He says, established. And all of, again, all of these words overlap. But, uh, and, and we could expand just on one word for a whole message. But this is... The idea, you know, when you, when you build a structure, you work on the foundation, it takes, it takes months and months, and it's all under the ground, and then you put up walls, and you've got the structure. But it's the build-out. It's the build-out inside that makes it the dwelling place, and, and it's, the, it's the glory of, the, of, the, of who dwells inside that, that matters, Hebrews says that every house implies that there is a builder. But I, brothers and sisters, in our walk with God, we are alone before God, and there's inside of us, inside of me, only God and me can be. God says that everything is, uh, Hebrews, 11, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 13, everything before him is exposed and naked in his sight. It's in here, 
inside my heart and in my soul, inside my thoughts when I'm going to sleep at night or when I wake up at night, in the mind that's tossing and turning. It's in the depths of the soul where nobody else can get except God himself that he is doing a build-out for the glory of God. And one day it's going to be perfect one day it's going to be beautiful. The dwelling place where God is already is not yet there. It's in a build-out process. But I can voluntarily, as I have received Christ Jesus the Lord, decide to walk in him and conscientiously think not only about the habits that are on the outside. Those are easy. Going to church every week, that's a good habit. It's a foundational habit. Christians go to church. But habits on the inside, how I think and how I respond and how I react and how I pray, all those habits on the inside are part of the walk, habits that reveal the direction of my life and the affections of my heart, and only God can see the build-out as it is going on. In Christ, I am built deep, built up, and built out. And when I do that, and when I continue in the joy of receiving Christ and walking in him and conscientiously thinking about the habits of my life, I can do it with all thankfulness to God on what he is accomplishing. So what do you say to people who know it all right now? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I, I would say, what do you say to Bob right now? Because Bob knows, and you, my Christian brother and sister, you know that you have the tremendous riches of Christ. This week alone, just this week alone, I've talked to three men who are not in Christ who literally cried in front of me just this week. Last week, somebody else different, outside of Christ. But we know we are in Christ. We know that we are in the, uh, we have the treasure house of wisdom. We know that we don't have some things perfectly together, knitted together perfectly in love. And we don't, we don't have all of things, those things. We're striving for those things. But we know that we've got structure that's been given to us, and we know that we have gifts that have been given to us. So what do you say? You say to those people, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, and your habits will reveal that you're built deep, built up and built out. And you'll be able to rejoice in a prayer that Paul prayed that has a lot of the same metaphors in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Listen to this. Strengthened through power in his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, and be filled with the fullness of God. What is God doing in your life right now, brother and sister? What is he doing right now? Everything that he's doing right now is to say this right here. That person has built his house, her house, on the rock. And she's grounded. She's rooted in strengthen in her inner being. And she's now being able to comprehend through what she's going through the, le uh, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And she is moving one step forward at a time in this build-out that is going on to ultimately, finally, permanently, irrevocably be perfect on the inside as a dwelling place of God in whom God dwells fully. Let's pray. Father, help us.